0: Morning. Y'all doing okay today? Wave at me. All right, you're awake. All right, when you come into a place, you always can tell who the most important person is, right? By um, who's sitting up the highest and who has the biggest chair. So since um, (laughs) Pastor Steve's not here, I wanted y'all to know who the man was. <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I thought of doing this, I was thinking it would be cool. I didn't know it was going to make me look like an eight-year-old. <laughs> y'all remember uh, Muhammad Ali? You, you may have to help me finish this. Muhammad Ali said, I am... All right, y'all can do better than that. This side over here is sleep. I am... Yes. So uh, Muhammad Ali gets on the airplane, right? Just you know, when you're on an airplane, who's the most important people on the plane? They got the, no. That's well. Besides the pop. the people in the big chairs, right? Right. So people in the big chair are the most important. Muhammad Ali's on the airplane. The stewardess come to him, said, "Hey, you've got to buckle your seatbelt. He said, "Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, "Superman don't need no airplane either." So. Uh, <laughs> You know, we start thinking about the big chair and we walk in, you can automatically tell who's the most important. Well, today we're going to look, be looking at this. I almost fail. We're going to be looking at the disciples. Uh, if you want to put your finger in Mark chapter 9, we're going to get there eventually. But I want us to look at the disciples just a little bit. Now, the, the Gospels are great because you can kind of follow along and kind of peruse kind of what the disciples experienced when they followed Jesus. See, as a disciple, they would walk behind their rabbi and the dust would stir up and cover their robes. Well, um, the disciples followed along behind Jesus and they got to see some pretty cool things. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll start just kind of beginning and kind of pursue through. A man with leprosy, Jesus healed him. Uh, they were in a house. Some guys tore a roof apart, lowered a guy, paralytic down. And Jesus heals the paralytic, says, get up and walk. The disciples were on a boat. The big storm came in, blew in, was terrible. They went and woke Jesus up because they were scared. Jesus comes out and goes, Peace be still. And everything, nature, the storm and everything just stopped and obeyed him. There's a they were walking through a crowd with the disciples, and somebody Jesus said, Somebody touch me. And the disciples are going, What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. There's a thousand people here touching you. Jesus said, No, it's different. There was a woman who was sick. She touched Jesus. Jesus turned and says, because of your faith you are made whole. And on his way, when he was touched by that woman, he was on his way to raise a dead girl, I mean a dead girl, raise her back from the dead. And so the disciples are walking along. They're watching this. They go with Jesus. There's 5,000 that need to be fed. And Jesus takes a little bit of food and he blesses it and feeds 5,000 people. So much so the disciples have to gather up extra. Jesus The disciples are out in the boat. Jesus walks on the water. Peter gets out of the boat, walks with him a little bit. Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And then Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and they went up on the mountain, high up on the mountain. And it says Jesus went on up and said his, his robes started glowing white. And Moses and Elijah came in, and they were talking to him, and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And so those three disciples got to see Jesus in his glory talking to Moses and Elijah. And then that brings us kind of up to chapter three, 33, chapter 9 verse 33. It says they came to Capernaum when he was in the house, he asked them, "What were you arguing about on the road?" But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. It never ceases to amaze me, these disciples who have been following in the footsteps of Jesus, God in the flesh, the Messiah, who showed them many, many miracles, healing people, raising people from dead, walking on the water, making the storm stop. And they're on the road, and they're, they're walking behind Jesus. He's in front of them, as a rabbi would be, and he's walking along. And they're walking behind him, and they're arguing about which one of them was the greatest, which one of them gets to sit in the big chair. That was what the argument was about. Now, if they'd been arguing talking about how to have a better prayer life or how to sit and listen and be still and, and, and talk to God and listen to God, then they would have been eager to tell Jesus about that. No, but they were shamed to silence. They wouldn't say a word because they knew. They'd been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but if we were just trying to kind of figure out what that argument was about, Peter, James, and John had just got to go up onto the mountain, Right? And when they got done with the Mount Transfiguration, Jesus told them specifically, keep silent about this. Keep this a secret. Don't tell anyone. And you and I well know that a secret could be leveraged for your advantage, right? You don't even have to tell it, but you can still leverage it. Because you can imagine the disciples, after all they have seen, as they're walking along to Capernaum, and, and, and John goes, Man, what about you, Peter? Is that the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life? That was incredible. And John goes, I, as long as I live, I don't think I'll ever see anything as cool as that. And the disciples go, you know, after all that they've seen, said, what are you guys talking about? Well, we would love to tell you, but Jesus told us to keep it a secret, right? You know, there's just, he invited us three up, and we're the only three that kind of know, and he just kind of told us to keep it a secret. And the other disciples, you can imagine going, well, well who do you think you are? I mean, why do you get to keep the secret? Why do you get to know this? Well, I don't know. Jesus is the one that told us. You know, he chose us. And, and so you can imagine the argument breaking out as each one of them tried to stand his ground to make sure that they knew that He, they were the greatest. Well, you think you're so great, Peter, James, and John, but you're not that great. And so they argued about who was the greatest on the road. And it said that, that um, Jesus, addressing the elephant in the room or on the way or on the road or whatever, Verse 35 says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. If he wants to be first, he must be very last. Well, see, pride is the issue. And it's been said pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person that has it. Pride is the thing that, that just can completely get in the way of our walk with Christ. As a matter of fact, there's some symptoms of pride, All right? An inflated sense of self. Inflated sense of self to where I think about myself most of the time and my joy and my pleasure and my needs and my wants to where I have this sense of self to when I walk into a room, there's no doubt in my mind who needs to be in the big chair because I'm he. It's me. I'm the man. And I remember as a, as a young boy, I used to have a disease, okay? I, my head was not right. But I remember, and I may have told you this before, I was sitting with the pastor of a church. He's my pastor. And we were in this huge auditorium, and I was, we were looking around. And he said, David, what are you looking at? And you know, just kind of curious. I said, well, I was just trying to see if there's anybody in this room that could whip me. I, true story. And uh, he said, well, have you found anybody? I said, not yet. I haven't found anybody yet. And he looked at me and said, well, what about me? And I said, don't even try it. Now, this is my boss. That shows you how immature I was. But coming straight out of college football, I didn't think anybody could whip me, you know. And we're sitting there with 5,000 people and I couldn't find anybody that I thought could whip me. No. I mean, there's just, look, we've got an inflated sense of self sometimes, don't we? Where we we're always making ourselves number one. The second one is a refusal to listen to differing ideas. Listen, if, if I'm right, then why do I need to listen to you? You know what I'm saying? If, if I know what's right, why do I have to listen to you? Because I already know what the answer is. And I know, I know what we need to do because I thought of it. So there's no need for me to listen to your ideas or to anybody else. The next one is I have to have it my way. Well, if my way's right, why would we not do it my way, right? I mean, you could do it my way or the wrong way. There's two ways you can go about this. But when you have an inflated sense of self and you can't listen to other people's ideas because you know your way's right and you are the most important, then you know what? I've got to have it my way. And the last one is this. You talk about yourself. I can't leave it up to chance that you won't discover how great I am. So you know what I've got to do? I've got to talk myself up. i got to make sure everybody knows how great I am. You tell the story... I've got a story just like that, but better. You talk about an accomplishment you've made. Uh, you know what? I have accomplished something too. And so it's that—that's what he's talking about. Pride is the one that makes everybody sick around you, except the person who has it. But we—but we have this pride in us that causes us to want to be first. It wants us to strive to be in, in the front. And Jesus looks at them and he says, "Guys, listen." If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. See, what Jesus didn't do was tell them their ambition was wrong. Or he didn't tell them they shouldn't strive to be great. That wasn't the issue. I think God put that within all of us to want to be great, to want to succeed, to want ambition to to do better. I think that's a God-given thing. But see, here's what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to help them to understand what the definition of greatness is. It wasn't about striving to be great. They just had great upside down. And Jesus was flipping it for them. Jesus was trying to help them to understand what true greatness is. True greatness is found in service and concern for others and willingness to be last instead of always putting yourself first. He wants to be first, needs to be last. It's not a problem to want to be first. But if you want to be first, you need to be last. So Jesus was trying to show these disciples, listen, let me help you to understand and change your perspective on what greatness is. And listen, if we're honestly Christians, if we're serious about following Jesus, if we're serious about following after him and becoming Christ-like, then we've got to understand, we've got to change our perspective of the world. We've got to change our perspective of the way that we see society and we see relationships. I mean, it's, it's really contrary to what the world teaches, isn't it? The world doesn't teach you to be the last and to be the servant of all. The world's definition of success is how many people are serving you and how close to the front of the line have you gotten. Can you imagine Jesus having a big business meeting where he invited great business leaders in a leadership conference and he gets in front of the leadership conference and he talks to them about all these CEOs, about how they need to be servants and be last? He wouldn't get a whole lot of repeats, would he, on that conference? Because the world doesn't teach that. The world says leverage, everything that you've got, your talents, your gifts, uh, your money, everything you have to get ahead, to be first, to be in the front, to have as many people serving you, as many employees as you can have, as many people doing what you want them to do as you can get. So Jesus teaches them. He says if anyone wants to be first, he must be last. He must be the servant of all. So then he calls a child, come here, brings a little boy into his presence. Here's what he says, he took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus, here he is using a child as a prop, and he brings him in, and you think, why would he do that? Why, why does Jesus use a child? Is it because a child really can't add anything to your status and your standing? So I don't think it's that at all. I think because a child is very needy. If you want to learn the definition of serving, have children. Because you will learn what it means to serve and to Sacrifice. I mean, a child, does they need you to stop. You can be focused on what you're doing, and you know what you've got to do? You've got to stop, don't you? And you've got to go and tend to the needs of your child. See, children will teach you what sacrifice is all about. Something I didn't really understand before I got married and before I had four kids, right? Because you know what I used to say? I don't do Mm throw-up. Before I got married, I I ain't doing throw-up. It's not going to happen. It's not me. I'll just throw a towel over it and let it congeal and get hard and sweep it up. I ain't messing with it. Not me. And then I had four kids. And I've cleaned throw up on, I've been throwed up on. Our cars are still stained with throw up. We got a lot of throw up in our house, I'm just going to tell you. I mean, God blessed me with a little girl who, when she takes chemo, she'll throw up in the middle of the night, in the morning. If you want to learn what sacrifice is about, you have kids, right? So Jesus took this little boy and he stood among them and he said, listen, if you welcome one of these, if you learn what it means to be like a child, to serve them and to give them and to sacrifice and not worry about what it's doing for you, but you are completely focused on putting the needs of that child first. Taking care of them. That's what, it's, that's what I'm talking about, guys. That's what he's trying to tell them, the disciples. Quit going around and prancing around and talking about who's the greatest and start serving people that can't pay you back. Start being a servant of all and being very last. See, we read a book, and you guys may be tired of hearing about this book, but it is a book that impacted our staff incredibly. It's not a Christian book. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. But as Christians, we've got to change our perspective in how we view the world. There's a guy who gets on a plane, and he goes, and there's a, his seat just happens to be next to an empty one. And he's saying, Wow, I've won, you know? Woohoo, there's nobody, and I hope nobody tries to sit in the seat next to me. So what does he do? He opens up his, his newspaper, makes himself as big as he can, looks angry, makes it look uncomfortable in that chair, and doesn't no, want anybody even to look at him. Every time somebody looks at him, he just looks mean to him, right? And then there's a woman next to him who has an empty chair beside her as well. Well, it just so happens they were the only two empty seats. And then this couple gets on, and, and the seat up front somehow got mixed up, so only one of them was going to get to sit together, and so they didn't know what to do. The stewardess is looking around, and the guy sees him looking back there and goes, you know, paper big, I'm big, I'm angry, don't ask me. And the lady next to him stands up and says, bam. Why don't you let them come and sit in these two seats? Nobody's sitting beside me, and I'll come and sit with a gentleman up there. Now I want you to think about perspective. How was that man viewing people? See, he was viewing them as a nuisance. He was viewing them as as something that was getting in in front of his comfort, as a problem. And the other young lady was viewing them as a a way to serve, as an opportunity to give. And see, we as Christians need to change our perspective on how we see people. Instead of sitting there and and trying to make sure we get what we want and puffing up and, and standing our ground and holding on to what we have, we need to be willing to step up and to give when we see a need. We need to live out, as Jesus would say, a slave relationship. Jesus came He says, I didn't come to to be served. I came to serve. And he did that all the way to the cross. And as followers of Christ, he's asking us to change our perspective. Now, what is the mindset and attitude of a servant? What is the mindset and attitude of a servant? Well, the first one is this. Servants are self-forgetful instead of self-promoting. They're self-forgetful. See, I'm not telling you to think, less of yourself. I'm telling you to think of yourself less. Is it where you don't constantly think about your needs and wants and desires, but you have forgotten yourself forgetful so you are more focused on what other people need? You're more focused on what you can do for someone else. You can't be a a servant if you're full of yourself. It's only when we forget ourselves that we see and we can remember that others around us need us to serve them. See, Jamie taught it last week. Denial is at the core of of servanthood, but it's also at the core of Christianity. And as Christians, listen, Jesus said, if you have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. So supposedly if we're Christ followers, if we're Christians, if we've we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've already practiced self-denial. We've already denied ourselves. But somehow when we get on the other side of our faith and we start living out our Christianity, we revert back to me, mine, what I want, what music I want sing, where do I get to sit, where's my stuff, I want a big screen TV, I want this, I want that. See, when we're focusing on us, we can't focus on others. But at the core of servanthood is self-denial, at the core of Christianity is self-denial. So we should be good at it, right? There shouldn't be a need in Rock Hill with a church our size. Servants are self-forgetful. Instead of self-promoting, how do you react when you're taken for granted or bossed around or treated as an inferior by someone you're serving? See, some of us would choose to serve until we feel like we're being taken advantage of. And then we say, I ain't serving them anymore. They don't appreciate it. They didn't tell me thank you. They're taking advantage of me. Did me and you take advantage of Christ on the cross when he paid for our sin? We did. And our rejection to God, we did the worst that we could do. And he didn't say, You're ungrateful. I'm not going to do it. You're ungrateful. I'm not, I'm not going to give my life to you on this cross. So we're self-forgetful, self-promoting. The second thing is servants think like managers, not owners. Now, I understand this is a difficult one. But Jesus made it very clear. Man can serve God or money. But money can very quickly become an idol and a God in your life. And he tells several parables about stewards, about people who are given this huge property and a lot of things in their hands. And they, are, they, they work hard and they do everything they can do to make it prosperous because when the owner comes back, they do that for the owner. It's not theirs. They don't get the benefit from it. They don't, any of that. They just are working for the owner. And so we are stewards of what God has given us as believers. And God has given us our resources Not just our our time, but our money and the stuff that we have. It's been said you're building a kingdom while you're here. You're either building God's kingdom or you're building your own. And sometimes what we say to ourselves is, I'm going to build my kingdom until I get comfortable, then I'll start giving to God. Or I like this one even better. Well, I'm going to build this big castle in my kingdom, and then I'm going to allow Christians to come and have small group in it. And then that makes it all better. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay not to have nice things. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm a very spoiled individual. I have a whole lot more than I know what to do with. But I'm just going to tell you as an American, as a Christian, when you walk into Haiti, into an orphanage, where 65 kids are living basically in the dirt with nothing to eat, and then I come back and see what I have, it's a smack in the face. And there's no wonder why... Christians all over the world look at us. It's so immature because we have so much. And it it struck to my heart, straight at my heart about what I have and what I do. I have a safe in my house full of junk that nobody can play with because it's too expensive. And God's working on me on that. I looked at it the other day. I opened that safe and looked in there. I thought, do I need this stuff? Whose kingdom does this build? But we need to learn how servants think like managers instead of owners. And I listen, there are men that I have known who God has made extremely wealthy. And you know what? The more money God gives them, the more money they give away. It's like they can't give enough money away because God keeps pouring it into them. And you know, I, I don't bemoan those guys at all. So hear what I'm saying. It's not about the stuff that you have, you shouldn't have it. It's that you should leverage what you have for God and his kingdom to serve others. That's what's important. Servants, think like managers, not owners. It's, I've got stuff, but it's not mine, it's God. So anytime God wants it, I'll give it to him. Or anybody, sometime I, sometime I need something, I'm going to make sure that I, I sacrifice for that. That's what's important. That's the attitude. So whose kingdom are you building? Servants find their identity in Christ. See, they remember they are con- unconditionally bought by grace. They belong to God. They're, they're, they're not threatened by menial tasks and things that they're given to do. They're not threatened by it at all. So when, when they get something to do, you know, some people go, Oh, I'll do this, I'll do this, but I'm not doing that. I'm not going to step to that level. I don't want to do those kind of things. I've spent my time in the nursery. I've wiped enough bottoms. I, that's somebody else's turn. It's not mine anymore. Because, see, a lot of times we, if we take a menial job, it makes us feel like we're less important. But, you know, real servants, they find their identity of Christ, and they're complete in who he is, and they don't need pats on the back and that of boys, and they don't need a job that's high up so they can feel important. I had a young man one time. His name was John. We went to Honduras. And we stayed out in the bush in nowhere. Okay? And the bathrooms at the place where we were were just kind of concrete open stalls with a little bitty bowl in it that you had to pour water in to flush. Okay? You had to go get water and take it and flush it. But, you know, they didn't really have toilet paper. And this... If you get squeamish, you can cover your ears. But they didn't have toilet paper. So... They would use their hands. And then they would wipe their hands on the walls of the bathroom. And then they would come out and wash them in the water trough. And then kids would come behind them and drink out of the water trough. And we got off the ground and we're looking at this. And it was my my first international mission trip to a second, third world country. And, you know, I took a bunch of college students. We're all standing there with our mouths wide open going, huh. You know, people live this way. John walks up to me. And John says, David, can I clean the bathrooms? I'm like, John, I don't want you to have to do that. We'll take turns. No, that's what I want to do. I want to make sure those bathrooms are clean. And so he got in there with brush and a lot of Clorox, a whole bunch of Clorox, and scrubbed the walls and scrubbed the toilets, and and he would empty the water peel and scrub it and fill it back up with fresh water. And he did that several times a day so that not only we wouldn't have to go to the bathroom in that kind of situation, but so that when other people would come, it would be clean, even though they would dirty up as soon as they got there. Now, John has a physics degree from Virginia Tech, and then he got a master's in geological engineering because he wanted, when he was in Honduras, he noticed that we mixed concrete, and they didn't do a very good job, and their houses kept falling apart, and he wanted to try to figure out a better way to help them make concrete so that their houses would be more secure. And then he ended up getting a doctorate in some physics, something other. I, I lost track, but then he just got his law degree. Probably one of the smartest students I've ever had in my ministry. And yet he had a heart of a servant like I've never seen before. Could easily have made us all look small by his intellect and how smart he was and what he could accomplish. And yet the first thing out of his mouth is, I want to clean the toilets. I want to clean the toilets. But he was completely secure. I had kids, I had students on that mission trip. If I'd have made them do that, it would have made them feel so small and they would have been upset and they would have cried about it and they wouldn't have been able to handle it. But John was completely secure in his faith in Christ and he didn't need a big job. He just wanted to serve. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the less you need to promote yourself. And you're too busy promoting him than to to promote yourself. And the last attitude is this. Servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation. It's an opportunity. I serve the Lord with gladness. I, can't, I come here and I find a spot that needs it, and I gladly step in and help. I don't go, oh, no, they need people down there. I guess if nobody else will. I guess if I have to. Well, I did it the last three times, but if nobody else is going to do it, then I will. See, that we serve the Lord with glass, we see it as an opportunity, not an obligation. Well, in closing this morning, I, I don't, have any of you guys ever heard of um, Kim Peek? Is that a name that anybody's heard of? Kim Peek is probably one of the smartest humans that's ever lived. As a matter of fact, it had been estimated that he had read like 12 to 14,000 books and retained almost everything that he read. As a matter of fact, he would read a page in like four seconds, and he would read the left page with the left eye and the right page with the right eye. And he would go through a book in an hour, and almost can tell, he could tell you verbatim what page, what line stuff was on in the book. Now, he was called a mega-savant, and he did have some issues, disabilities that came with his savantism, which is a lot of times autism and those kind of things. But Kim Peek was, was an incredible man. As a matter of fact, they called him the human Google They would take him to to colleges and universities and they would ask him questions and he could answer anything they could ask him. As a matter of fact, I think he had learned so much about other things he started learning local stuff to where you could tell him where you lived and he could tell you who your neighbors were. And those kind of things. The man was so incredibly smart. And you may not have heard of Kim Peake, but you may have heard of a movie called Rain Man. And they would made a movie out of his life. The director from that movie met him and was so incredibly awed at him that he wrote a movie about him, kind of loosely about him. But Kim Peek, I want you to watch. I've got a little video I want you to watch. Uh, if you would, turn your eyes to the screen just for a second. Two months shy of his 80th birthday, Brian still looks after Kim.
1: He helps me a lot because I still have bad coordination and because of the brain damage that I had when I was little. I wasn't supposed to make it past about 14, and here I am at 54, a celebrity.
0: Looking after Kim is more than a full-time job.
1: Only about 30 hours a day. (laughs) 30 hours a day and 10 days a week, that's what most parents who have children with disabilities feel like that's kind of what their schedules are.
0: Kim knows how essential his dad is to him.
1: My dad and I share the same shadow.
0: This year is especially important to Kim and Fran.
1: Things will really heat up this winter with my dad approaching 80. Only one other member of my dad's immediate family has ever reached that mark, and and it's my grandma, which makes this
0: year so important to us. So you may even have heard about Kim Peek or Rain Man, but one thing you had never hear, heard about was Fran, his dad. And what you don't know about Kim Peake is that when he was very young, his mom thought it was just too hard and she left. And Kim spent the rest of his life in the care of his dad, Fran. And I, the line that, that just captured me and intrigued me was when he said, me and my dad share the same shadow. His dad was completely comfortable living in the shadow of his son. So much so that his son became famous, but nobody ever heard of his dad. But if it wasn't for his dad, his son would have never got the nurture, the care, the love that he needed to become anything. As a matter of fact, they begged him to put him in a mental institute when he was a baby and just leave him. See, as Christians, we've got to be comfortable in the shadow of others. We've got to allow others to stand on our shoulders We've got to come behind others and encourage and to help them and not to be so concerned about ourselves and getting our recognition and getting what we need and we deserve. Jesus is our example in Philippians chapter 2. Paul talks about we need to have the mind that Christ Jesus had. When he did not, he considered others more important than himself, he made him servant himself a servant all the way to death on the cross for you and for me. And if we're to dare to call our names by the same name that our savior has, Jesus Christ, and call ourselves Christians, we need to learn what true greatness is. We need to learn how to be last. And Jesus didn't tell him to be last, he told him to be very last. We need to be a servant, not just a servant, but a servant of all. So how are you doing? Do you spend too much time thinking about yourself? Too much time promoting yourself and your kingdom? And not enough time focusing on promoting His kingdom and doing what He did and serving others? This morning, I want to open the altar for you. If, If you need to come and say, God, please help me with my pride. Please help me to get rid of these things that causes me to focus too much on me and not enough on you and not enough on people. I want to open it up to you. So if you would, go ahead and stand up. And as they lead this worship song, you feel free to come.